Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Wednesday, everybody. How's your day going? How's your night going? How's the week been? How about the month? Tough question. Loaded question. I know. But again, remember, we're normalizing mental health. We're feeling a full range of feelings, right? Mental health is us being able to just say, I'm not doing good. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Mental health is feeling a full range of feelings. There's no positive emotions or negative ones. We got to get away from that. There's just emotions. You know, some feel better and are more motivating. Others are harder. None of them are bad. They're all part of being a human. We have to learn how to sit, feel, and be a part of and experience all of them. Mental health is also sitting deeply in them, right? So mental health is a full range. And then being able to go deeply into them, we want to get away from toxic positivity, the idea that find the bright side, smile, always try to be happy. I had a group reach out recently that wanted me to be a part of some program where it's all about the power of positivity. No, babes. It's about the power of truth and authenticity. It's okay to feel depression, anxiety. We don't want to keep shaming and pathologizing that because we will always feel those things and we don't need to complicate feeling those things by, by socially making it unacceptable. Right. And, uh, again, we're normalizing doing this work by asking people not, Hey, how are you? But by saying, how's your mental health? And again, that's how we normalize hearing about it, talking about it, asking about it. And it lets people know I'm someone you can go to. So that's a question like, how's your mental health? That's how we kind of normalize that. Um, got a great show planned for you. We're going to talk about some social media literacy, how we can support also the teenagers in our lives that are struggling with COVID. Um, Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveland IG page, so you can weigh in on that. That's in the uh, stories. And then later in the show, we're going to talk a little bit about grief and loss, because again, it's coming up in all different ways. It's never just about losing a person, so we're going to talk about that. Um, let's talk about some news, though. I love this. We talked about this on yesterday's show, actually. One in four singles have had sex with their roommates in lockdown. That was yesterday's question of the night. Have you? Would you? According to Match.com's 10th annual single study, a large majority, 71%, of singles said they didn't have sex with anyone during the pandemic. So 71% have had no sex. Good. I really think unless you're self-isolating with someone or you're in a relationship and you have kind of some kind of pod created, you shouldn't be, right? Uh, so Match is calling it the largest dry spell in history. I don't like the, the word dry spell. I, to me, it implies it's bad. I think it's honest. I think it's okay. There's so many different ways to build relationality, to build intimacy, to stay connected. There's tons of different ways to build pleasure and closeness, and it doesn't always have to involve our bodies in close proximity. Some people are in long-distance relationships. Some people are going through you know, mental or, or emotional struggles. Some people are on different medications or different levels of stress, and they're not always wanting to use their bodies or their genitals or their sexuality to build intimacy and closeness. And we can maintain it on other levels. That's why we have other levels. We don't throw a lie on just one. And that's why when you're dating, make sure they're all there, that you can connect socially, you can connect emotionally and sexually so that if one's not available, like right now when we're feeling gross and we're feeling tired, because 
energy and, and energy is one of the number one things that spikes sexual interest and stress and depression drop it. And that's what we're really sitting in. So it's not a bad thing that that's happening. It's not a drought. It's we're being honest. We're being where we are. We're realizing there's so many other ways to be present to people we care about. 25%, we talked about this yesterday, have had sex with a roommate. 69 said they enjoy having video dates. 50 said they've fallen in love during a video date. I mean, here's what I'm, let's look at these numbers because this is where some people are like, ah, now's not a really great time to date. Yes, it is. It's just different. And doing things differently does not mean they're bad or wrong. It's different. So 25% are having sex with roommates. 69%, I love that huge number, are enjoying video dates. Almost 70 are like, hey, it's just different. We're having fun though. 70%, get into that. 50% of those said they've fallen in love during a video date. Again, another sign as the to show that it's, a, a, it's something to be a part of right now if you're single. Uh, two out of three say it doesn't compare to dating in real life though. But I think that's because we shame things being different and we're just familiar with a certain way and we don't, we don't find the comfort in being creative. We have to get better about that. 36% said they're more selective about who they date now. I appreciate that. It's probably tied to people's politics and ethics. And 58% said they've learned to be more honest and upfront. Totally get that. Um, also, uh, home is the only place most Americans feel safe during the pandemic. It's also some research that's coming out. I get it. That's kind of what I'm doing. Um, I'm not really feeling that comfortable out in the world because I don't really know where everyone else has been. And there's so many surfaces you have to touch. And look, the numbers are spiking. People are still dying. And I personally don't want to be a part of that or perpetuating that. A new poll showed that 77% of US adults said they only feel safe at home. Sit with that. Almost 80%. I get it though. I get it. Like that's something I'm experiencing as well. So we got to kind of turn our homes into a different kind of sanctuary. And that's why there's also such a huge spike in people buying plants because their home life now has more expectations because we're in it longer, right? We're trying to bring some of the things that we needed from the outside world into the inside world to kind of give us peace. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to talk about creative and diversity within relationships, designer relationships, and uh, then we're going to be talking about social media literacy. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com, and we'll be back in two minutes with a two-minute promise. All right, we're back. Question of the night up on our Loveline IG page. Also, DMs always open. Drop on in there. And just a little plug, my show, I'm Listening Live, that's every Thursday night, celebrities and experts talking about the intersections of mental health and COVID, and that's on all the radio.com handles, Twitter, uh, what is it, Facebook, and YouTube. Also, all the old episodes back there, and uh, Loveline. Go to wearechannelq.com, check out all Loveline episodes. So let's talk about designer relationships. I love this stuff. Why? Because it's honest. Different people need different things, and at different times in our lives, we grif- we, we, we uh, grow, we shift, we change, always. And who we are now is not who we're going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years, and our needs might change. And so it's all about just being honest with what we're looking for. And I'm glad that I'm alive in a time when people aren't feeling confined and limited. Look, decades ago, people got married and that was it. Maybe in monogamous, that was it, or they cheated. Now we understand more open styles. You can have an open relationship and be healthy. You can be polyamory and have multiple ongoing committed relationships and be healthy. These things have high success rates, far higher than their traditional hetero married monogamous couple. They have the highest rate of cheating and divorce. It's not working. Uh, Not that that style doesn't work. It's often also the way they're running it because they run it very phobic and threatened by other people and other things. And it just sucks the life out of everything and the fun. 
which is the whole point of a relationship is to enhance your life, not to make it more complicated and problematic. You don't need to be in it. That's why it breaks my heart when I see people saying things like, oh, golf saved my marriage because my husband's never home. Oh my God, you sound like a horrible person to be married to. Your marriage sounds horrible to be in. Work on it or get out. Like, where's the self-esteem? Want more for yourself. You don't need to be married. Um, also, I remember uh, someone complaining about their partner decades in, still wanting to have sex with them and touch them. Yes, take the compliment. They're attracted to you. They still want to have a sex life with you. Because remember, y'all, you can be monogamous, but you can't demand celibacy. You can't say to someone, you're only going to have sex with me, and then I'm not going to have sex with you. I advocate for the other partner to say, yeah, I'm an adult. I decide what I do. I committed to monogamy prior. It's not working for me now because sex is something that's important to me and we need to renegotiate this. Otherwise, I need to exit open or talk about something else. So be kind to each other. Getting married to someone or being in a committed relationship or monogamous isn't about enacting violence on your partner by thinking you own them or control them. You don't. You can't. And it's to adults. Now, designer relationships is about us learning all sorts of creative things, such as what about a gay man married to a straight woman? Now, we traditionally see that coming out of religious backgrounds because people believe that being gay is wrong or gay marriage is wrong or they want to fit in. Whatever the different reasoning is, it exists. Those marriages are most likely going to be the ones that have a high level of maybe trust and emotional commitment, but a low level of sexual satisfaction. Bums me out because you can have a healthy relationship without sexuality. Some people are lower sexual or even on the asexual spectrum and they get their needs met intimacy-wise on all the other levels, emotionally, socially, intellectually, and they might be open to levels of affection. But for someone that's not asexual, that might not work for them so much. Thank God for solo sexuality and pornography because that's a way for some people to still have a sex life or as partners as they can get by watching pornography and psychologically participating in sex with the people that they're you know watching on film. So I'm glad they have that. But yes, some gay men or gay women might be married to a straight partner. And again, that's because they maybe fell in love or got together before one of them realized they were gay or maybe they skew more pansexual or bisexual or they had issues with being gay. And so is it a psychological issue or defense? It really depends on the case. I've worked with some people where them staying in the marriage wasn't in their best interest, whether it was the straight partner or the gay partner in that marriage. They weren't getting all their needs met. Other relationships, they were. I've worked with some people that initially it was just a starting point and they finally came out and they wanted to have same-sexed sexuality. But as we know from pansexuals and bisexuals, you know, we can still be committed to one person because even people that aren't bi or pan or gay and they're hetero and they're in a hetero relationship, they're still attracted to other shapes, sizes and bodies and races and gender expressions. And so commitment is about just being able to commit. It doesn't, it's not tied to someone's sexual orientation. Um, but I love stories like that because it really reminds us that people get to decide the kind of relationship they want to have. And that's the landing point. Um, might not make sense to everyone else, but it makes sense to them. And that comes up with non-monogamy couples and polyamorous couples. How can you do that? How can you be like that? Well, we're seeing tons of family units. And and uh, the research, it's you know showing, again, like we talked about beneficial impacts of diversity and creativity and acceptance and compassion. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, that's really what we should be looking to is, you know, what are the impacts of something? What is the health in that? Oh man, I could talk forever about these things. Um, and I do, and I do. <laughs> okay, so coming up next, we're gonna talk about how to support your teen and their mental health during times of COVID because a lot of parents are reaching out to me, also in my practice saying, 
you know, well, cause it's different, right? The way you relate to a child, the way you relate to a teen, the way you relate to your, you know, adult partners or friends is, is a very different experience as to how a child might need something packaged. So we're gonna talk about how to kind of enter that conversation as well as some social media literacy, because we're spending more and more times on our phone and social media and, and television. And I've talked about this, how I've looked at what Apple tells you on your phone about how long you've been on it really, really lets you know the impact of that time spent. Um, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So slide on over there and check that out. And then we'll be doing uh, some DMs. And then later in the show, we're going to be talking a little bit about, um, you know, grief and loss. It's something that we're experiencing on different levels, right? It's not just grief and loss. It's just not the loss of a, of a, of a loved one. It's sometimes loss of a public figure, a friend, someone who has just been an ongoing staple in your life. And those things absolutely matter, but there's also the grief and loss of just the life you had. And even added to that right now is people are having the grief and loss around their identities because our identities are shifting based on the loss of our career or things like that, um, access to other you know hobbies because sometimes those are the things that really make us feel we are like we are who we are. All right, anyway, coming up next, <laughs> you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all. Let's talk about how we can uh, help the teens in our lives. And we're going to tackle this from two different ways. How you can help them in terms of making it safe to talk to you about COVID and how you can deal with what they're struggling with. Because, you know, adults have more access to resources. They have more agency. They also have more resilience. And so teens are going to need a little more handholding, but they're still experiencing things. Don't think that they're not impacted. They definitely have a trickle-down effect as well. They take on a lot of the stress of the family environment. So if the parents are struggling or the other kids in the home, they're not going to be able to necessarily feel calm and not you know, they're going to get infected with some of that. But first, I want to just talk quickly about social media literacy. Remember, we talk all the time about how our mental health is tied to our social media and what we're looking at. So now that teens are home and possibly having more downtime because they're going to school at home or they're not able to see their friends, you need to definitely have more connection to what they're looking at and what they're immersing, immersing themselves into. Their mental health and their self-worth is tied to what they're looking at because social media and media is reflecting back norms and values that they think they have to live up to and culture they have to participate in. So spend some time lovingly, non-judgmental, just, hey, what are you looking at? Or, hey, I saw that you were watching that. Can we talk about what that was just saying, whether it's a song or a movie? Hey, I'm going to pause this for a second. Wow, this is really saying that in order to be hot or desirable, you have to be thin or you have to look like this. That's actually not true. Or, hey, I saw you're on your social media a lot more. Let's talk about the kinds of things you're looking at. You know, you're going to see some things. Da, 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 da. You have to really, really start to sit down, let them know that people edit their photos, people post their best only, people are not always doing as well as they seem. And you have to really kind of hold their hand in a non judgmental way. And you have to kind of educate because teens don't necessarily always have the understanding that media isn't real life and that media is portraying something and always has a message that media is loaded and that it impacts them. Hey, if you're not feeling so great, maybe it's because you're spending too much time on that. But again, notice I'm not judging, I'm not shaming, I'm trying to be a very neutral person participant. And when we talk about how to also approach kids in what they're struggling with right now, because there's higher rates of mental health struggles right now, higher rates of suicide. So it's all about connection. That's the number one way we can really decrease misuse of drugs and alcohol and a lot of mental health issues is more family time. The studies are showing kids that have a better relationship with their parents when parents are able to be healthy and present and not judgmental, that's a huge resource for them. So you wanna let them know, like I'm here, I can be spoken to, I can talk about these things. So you wanna number one, meet them where they're at. 
you don't want to force them. So if you notice your child's looking away, not present, not interested, very distracted, then you've either gone on too long or you've overwhelmed them. And so you have to kind of back off. The way you might talk to yourself, a friend or another adult, isn't the way you talk to a child. It's often slowly chiseling away or slowly engaging. Maybe the conversation you want to have actually has to be broken down into four or five smaller conversations that take the place over multiple days or once a week. Um, I always tell people also frame it, frame it in a really neutral way. Don't say, I need to talk with you. Come sit down. My dad used to do that. It already spiked the anxiety and raised the seriousness of whatever we're about to talk about when he'd say, I need to talk to you. Please come into the office. And it was like, oh my God, be more casual, right? Bring things up casually when we're maybe out in the world or say, hey, let's go for a walk. And you can casually bring it up, right? But you have to really pay attention and notice if they need support, but also notice if they're with us, right? Because you want to meet them where they're at. That's the most important thing because you're trying to help. Don't come to them from your own anxiety, right? So calm yourself down, get the resources and education you need, and then meet your child where they're at, right? Because they're, they're overwhelmed and they're, they're, they're a little more limited. And our level of functioning is going to impact theirs. If you're not calm, you can't be yelling at them for them not being calm. You can't literally be yelling at them for what they're doing. They're being too aggressive or loud or whatever it is, but then you're standing there doing the same thing, right? So you have to model and mirror for them what it is you're looking for. But again, start to check in on them. You know, there's a lot of silence. There's a lot of separation. I understand that there's a point in every individual's life as a child and adolescent where they have maybe a closer relationship with family and parents, and then they start to split off because what becomes, you know, at first it's the child is up against the parents. I don't, I don't like using such a uh, battle-based metaphor, but it's the child's ego versus the parent's ego. But then at some point they emerge outside of that and it becomes the child and the world. Where do they fit into the larger social world? And then it becomes more about fitting in with their friends. They just want to look like everyone else. It's all about the conformity in that point, right? And there's some struggle in that because not every kid is able to meet the standards that pop culture or their social group has set before them. And you have to be able to talk about those things very calmly, right? So again, spend time with your children, meet them where they're at, Definitely address social media, pay attention to what they're looking at, try to find really good teaching moments where you hear something in a song or a movie and kind of give a little media literacy and say, hey, let's talk about what you saw and what that really means or if that's even real, right? These are This is part of being a parent because everyone's website, everyone's social media isn't always made or geared towards children and you have to be aware of what they're looking at. That's kind of the responsibility of of you on top of every other responsibility you have. Trust me, I get it. You're, you're trying to work from home. They're trying to go to school from home. You're trying, I get it, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. My heart goes out to parents right now that are trying to make all this happen and pull it off. Anywho, DM's coming up next, y'all. Okay. Uh, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. D. So I've been proud of myself for my active effort in quitting any toxic monogamy behavior. Love it. All thanks to your show. I only wish my boyfriend did the same. So I don't mind him liking other girls' pictures anymore on Instagram, even if they are bikini pictures, even if they are attractive. <laughs> I just let it go because he's with me. And I also understand he's human and has eyes. Oh my God, I love it. You're quoting me back. Um, however, all caps, when it's me that wants to post a sexy pic, he doesn't like it or appreciate it like he does with everyone else. 
When I've asked him about this, he said, like, why does it bother you so much? And why is it okay for other women to do it? He just says it's disrespectful to him. He says, I have a boyfriend and those girls get paid to post their pictures. He's like, why do your friends and family and coworkers need to see you naked? Is this a double standard? Does he have a point? Oh, you guys kill me. It's sweet. I like that you're having these conversations. So two things. One, disconnect your work from someone else's, right? Never stop doing what you know is best for you or holding the bar high for yourself or your partner based on what they're doing or not doing, right? Because your self-esteem is based on what you do. Your self-esteem doesn't let you off the hook if you're not acting from your best. So you want to feel fully confident, so keep the bar high for yourself. That's good for you. It will inspire your partner. Um, but yeah, we often have double standards in our relationships because our partners might not have done the work we're doing. Your partners might not, you know, is not listening to my show and reading my books like you are. So you're further along. So keep educating, lovingly holding space for them to grow and be better, holding your boundaries. Um, and if you keep your bar high, they might rise up and meet it. But people aren't always going to be where we are. And so he's more socialized from standard ideas that, you know, our worth is tied to what we post, which is true. But whether or not we post something erotic or sexy doesn't determine our worth, right? Like you're allowed to be a competent sexual, I'm sorry, you're allowed to be a confident, uh, healthy intellectual person and also have a sexuality. But it's also not wrong to maybe honor that you do want some of the attention validation. We're allowed to get attention and validation from our art, from our intellect, from our athleticism, also from our eroticism. It is okay to lead with your eroticism. It's called erotic capital. You're allowed to use it. You're allowed to use your attractiveness or desirability. We all have it on some level in some population. We're allowed to lead with it and use it. Just don't be oppressive with it or problematic, but you're allowed to do that. So honor that. I like the validation. My family, it's okay for my family to know that I'm a sexual being. I'm working on, you know, being a feminist and knowing that we're in the fourth wave and that sexuality isn't something to have shame about or hide, especially as a female, you know? And I think that that, we talked on the other show about selfies as an act of self-esteem and that sometimes working through our shame based on whatever it is we're working through, posting ourselves, putting ourselves out there is the way that we push through and work through. Because remember, shame is maintained and created by withholding and hiding and shrinking and leaning out. And posting pictures is a way to lean in and to promote and to get familiar and to get comfortable and to get the validation. And that's okay because our self-esteem is, again, reflected back to us and you want that reflected back. But if it's not there and it's not that deep, maybe don't post them. You know, just kind of realize it's not that deep for me. It's upsetting to him and do some of the work with him. You know, let him get more comfortable, more familiar. I don't know. You just have to really weigh in on how meaningful it is to you, you know. But um, I'm glad that you're able to have these open conversations and dialogues. Uh but set some standards. You know, we're allowed to disappoint and let our partner down, so it's okay if he's uncomfortable with some of the things you're posting. Just don't be secretive or lie or manipulate, but be honest and, and transparent about it and why you're doing it. And if he cares about you, he'll honor your reasoning. But it's an ongoing conversation. It's not something you're necessarily gonna solve or resolve right now. So kind of keep that ball in the air, keep talking about it. You know, it's how you both, both learn and grow. And every time we talk to our partners about things like this, they're letting us know like how they are around difficult topics. And that's when, you know, health, sustainability and compatibility really is shown. So um, yeah, hang in there. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of world. And we want you to explore the confidence. Love Lines podcasted at wearechannelq.com and at radio.com. Make sure you're checking out my other show, I'm Listening Live. It's every Thursday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on all the radio.com handles, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. You can go back and check out all the past episodes. We've been doing this since COVID. And uh, I'm Listening Live is about celebrities and experts talking about the intersections of mental health and COVID. We talk about self-care and tips, all sorts of stuff that's relevant, what's going on, we can learn some stuff. 
drop some gems. Um, so yeah, check it all out. I'm here for you, giving you the goods. Uh, but uh, question night, it's coming up later in the show, so still some time to weigh in on that on our Loveline IG page. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG story. So weigh in on that. Breaking that on down later in the show. But right now, let's talk about work at home burnout. This makes me laugh because it's something that a lot of people can relate to. And it's it's a new relationship that we have to form with our employment, our home, our family members. You know, we... <laughs> Remember back in the day when we had to leave our home and go to that thing called an office and we had to put on work clothes? Oh yeah, work clothes. Uh, I was jokingly talking on uh, Thursday night last week on I'm Listening Live. I was talking about sweatpants and how moving forward I wanted to only wear sweatpants on the bottom half no matter where I went. And uh, I was not completely joking. You know, working from home has really reminded us what comfort can be. And I like the idea that employers, employees are starting to think a little differently and realizing that we can be productive or um, goal-oriented and competent while wearing things that are more comfortable, maybe working less hours, doing some things from home when that can be done. There's nothing wrong with centering pleasure and comfort. And I think that that makes people happier and happy. Happiness is uh, makes people thrive. We should all seek that. Why why enforce things that don't need to be enforced? And it's interesting. You go to some businesses and they want people to dress up, but there's no actual reason for it. And comfort might make a happier workplace. Happy environments make happier workplaces, and also can make people feel cared for. So yeah, I, I made that decision a couple years ago clinically that I wasn't going to play the game of professionalism in ways that I didn't have to. And I started dressing more casually. And I know that again, I, I'm in a position of privilege where I'm able to do that. And that is just accepted. And I want more of that. So um, yeah, but work working from home burnout. Listen, again, we're not just working at home. We're working at home during a pandemic. And for many, that means working at home while the children are home or also trying to go to school and going to the office. The children are in school or have childcare and the boundaries are different and accessibility is different. Not all homes have Wi-Fi. So all of that's in there. And um, I think what can happen working from home is time drift where time can just flow by or we don't have designated start and stop time. So that's part of it. Making sure you're not burning out at home is having benchmarks and awareness of time and structure. Set a start time, set a stop time. That might mean a, an alarm clock. Try to follow what is a natural flow for you. Have lunch breaks, have coffee breaks. Don't just necessarily concentratedly push through. Also, it's about setting designated work areas aside. And that might mean a different room or a different area of a generalized room. And setting signifiers that let family members know when you're working and when you're not working, closing a door, setting up a sign, again, telling them a time frame and saying, hey, look, during that time, even though I'm more accessible because I'm home or I'm literally in the room with you, I need to be able to have that, that, that those boundaries honored that I'm working and I can't be interrupted. And here's when I'll be available or here's what I'll do to let you know I'm available. Some individuals will have to wear earphones to block out noise and sound. So again, it's about trying to maintain as much structure as possible with accessibility, with sound. Uh, some people do want to maybe get dressed and put on work clothes as a way to transition in back to that work identity and professionalism and changing back out as a way to transition back out. So if that's something that's meaningful and a signifier for you, engage that, employ that, use that. But it's about the boundary setting and letting everyone know that 
you're going to be working and how you're going to be working and also just honoring flexibility. We need to be flexible. You know, um, we're going to have to allow some interruptions that maybe are not traditionally something that we have to bump into. Uh, <clears throat> but again, it's not over. It's about not overworking yourself. There can be a boundary lessness where you feel a little too available, right? And you're not really holding yourself accountable to the structure. So build that in. We're doing the best. I know, you know, it can feel hard. I'm doing therapy from home and it can just feel like everything's blending together, home life, work life. Uh, but I would say it's really about designating space away. Don't collapse everything into the same space. You still want the bedroom to be associated with pleasure and sleep, maybe the couch area to be with rest and leisure. So try to separate it out. I would say don't do everything from the bedroom or don't do everything on the couch if you can separate it out. Because again, symbolically, we do have associations and our mood and our psychology is associative. And so we want to maintain certain spaces as being free from any association with work or stress or all those kinds of triggers, uh, excuse me, triggers. So keep those safer spaces safe, you know? And again, like I said, bedroom is about sex. It's about pleasure. It's about rest. Couch is the same thing. Uh, the dining room table maybe is about family time. So try to create the spaces you can carve it out, but you know, it's not ideal and this isn't forever and we're in the middle of COVID. And so give yourself a break, give those around you a break, but, um, it's kind of just where we're at odd times. I'm telling you odd times, such a boundarylessness. And that's what I've been struggling with is if I, you know, wake up and I'm wearing throughout the day, what I wore to bed and just kind of bouncing around, you can lose yourself. And so I've had to make myself get showered and dressed and designate certain areas for therapy areas. And it's the therapy space and it's been bringing meaning and value. It definitely shifts my relationship. So, you know, again, we're doing the best we can hang in there, be kind to yourself. You know, this isn't forever. We'll see what happens. I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know what's going to be next, but, um, times are different and moving forward. They, they might continue to be some people might be working from home, moving forward happily or sadly, you know? All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about loffing, grief and loss. There's, um, there's, an, there's new perspectives we need to hold and more allowing. So we'll be breaking that on down and then question of the night. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're going to talk about grief and loss, but I want to talk about it from a different entry point. Um, we've talked about it in terms of losing a loved one, but I want to also talk about the changes that happen right now when we're losing figures in the public eye that are important to us. Cause there's been a lot of deaths this year from COVID and also not from COVID. Right. And also just the loss of our identity when we lose our jobs or we don't have access to certain things in the world that our identity usually, usually is tied to. Um, and that's part of this. I, I, this came up in my office a lot where someone loses their job and they now have an identity shift. They're no longer whatever it was that that job gave them in terms of who they were in the world. When someone says, who are you or what are you up to? A lot of us relate from our jobs. That's where identity is. Others, it's also tied to hobbies that they don't have access to. If you're usually tied to outdoor athleticism, you don't have access to some of that, or you're a performer and you're not able to get your music out there to do live shows or concerts or whatever it is, that's your identity. And there's some grief and loss in, well, I'm not performing or I don't have the motivation to write music. Am I still a musician? Grief and loss and letting go of that. People changing careers. We talked about that when I was talking about the shift on Broadway. And some people are saying, I'm going to go into a new career. So they have to go through grief and loss, mourning that they're no longer a performer, um, no longer part of Broadway, maybe no longer living in New York City in that lifestyle. And now they're moving on to something else. It's a part of grief and loss, you know? And it's okay. It's okay to walk away from something that's not working for you anymore. I don't like the word quitting because it's actually really healthy if you don't enjoy something to walk away from it, even if you started it. You know, it's not quitting. 
it's moving on to something that makes sense to you. It's centering mental health. Mental health doesn't care about words like quitting. It cares about what's working, what's honest. And that's part of, it's part of what's going on in COVID right now is a lot of loss. And, you know, you can form in a relationship with something from afar. You know, we have that with celebrities. We might not know them. We have never met them, but we spend a lot of time with them, maybe by listening to their music, watching their movies, reading about them, and that forms a relationship. It is a relationship. It's not the same as someone you might know in real time, but it's a relationship. And when they pass or they're gone, yes, you can mourn the loss of that. We see that with public figures, Kobe Bryant, Princess Diana. I mean, when, you know, Eddie Van Halen just passed from throat cancer. People have a relationship with these individuals. Some people grew up with them, seeing them, listening to them, reading about them, going to their concerts. They were, you know, their music or their art was an integral part of important parts of someone's life, their wedding, a death. And there's grief and loss in that. And sometimes grief and loss is just for the world that's not there anymore. Grief and loss around the upcoming election and concerns, right? So we want to be very kind. Don't shame and say, well, you didn't even know them. Or, wow, you've been holding on this for a long time. I... Grief and loss take as long as they take. And remember, because we have memory, those memories will be triggered again in the future. So I don't use words like getting over or resolving. It's just, it's, it's, we're different forever. Grief and loss is always with us. It's always with us. It just maybe hurts less as time goes on. But you'll be reminded. You'll smell something, see something, hear something, and you'll be reminded. And you'll be brought back to that grief and loss. That is part of being a human, right? Grief and loss is about letting it be carried with you for the rest of your life. That came up when my father passed. It, things don't get better. They get different. They get different. Some things get harder and some things get easier. And you don't get over it. It's not about getting over. It's about learning how to be with. And my dad's birthday was just recent. And someone could have said, oh, it looks like you're not over your dad. I don't want to ever be over my dad because that would imply in that crappy cultural theory that I'm no longer sad or distraught when I think about him or I'm reminded of him. I am. And having a lot of suffering and sadness over the loss of someone or something is a sign of how important it was to you and how much you loved and cared about them. And and I, I've said this before over and over. All the people I've ever loved in my life, even people I, I dated, my ex-fiance, I, I love them now and I always will. And new people that get brought in my life have to be able to hold space for that. I hope to always love them, right? Missing hurts so deeply, right? But that pain has so much beauty in it because that pain comes from having loved them and it helps us stay connected. For some, that pain is all they have left and that helps them feel close. And so try to honor the beauty of that pain. Lean into it. We don't need to get rid of it. Sadness, depression, anxiety, we don't have to get rid of them. We need to learn how to be companions, carry them with us, sit in it. There's a beauty in it. That is then brought back. That pain is because they're present, present in your mind. And we can still be a part of people's lives, even though they're no, no longer physically with us. You know, psychology and mental health doesn't know time. We think backwards. We think forward. When, we remind, when we're reminded of something, it's there again with us in the present moment. So we can access things that are gone via our emotions and our minds. Spend time with people that are no longer with us. I still talk to my dad all the time. He's still with me psychologically and emotionally. He's just not here physically. And so I spend time with him emotionally. I look at photos, I listen to music, I talk to him, I think about him. He's still here, just not physically. We can still access people. And for some, that's peaceful and, and soothes them. And for others, not so much. You know, go on your journey. But I want that pain to be there because that's a sign of how deeply he was loved. Um, it's not something we have to necessarily be afraid of. But I'm not sure how many more losses we have ahead because of the pandemic. You know, every time I think we've kind of plateaued, something new is brought forward, but that's part of life, right? And that's what I learned from Eastern philosophy and my Eastern training. 
in that philosophy is that life is life has a lot of suffering that's always changing and we have to learn how to just be present with that you know the goal of life isn't happiness the goal of life is purpose and meaning and we'll talk more about that at some point but um yeah all right coming up next question of the night and then some dms you're listening to love line with dr chris on the new channel q and radio.com all right we're back now it's time for question of the night Question of the night, according to a new study, broken heart syndrome has increased 7.8% since the beginning of the pandemic. Broken heart syndrome is a temporary heart condition that is brought on by stressful situations and emotions. I love this. So the question of the night is, how have you been coping with your stress and emotions since March? And this is that whole conversation about self-care and coping. Coping is whatever method we use to get through difficult emotions. It can be food, it can be sex, it can be alcohol. Self-care is when we're doing things that are in service of making us better and nourishing us. So coping mechanisms can be positive, they can be negative. Self-care is always positive. Self-care always leaves you feeling better off, not worse off. If it's something you're using to cope that might have a negative impact, that would just be a coping mechanism, not self-care. Now it's not that coping mechanisms aren't inherently even necessarily positive or negative. It depends on the person, it depends on the outcome, it depends on the context. And we often shame things that I don't think are bad or wrong, such as you can use sex or masturbation as a way to cope or self-soothe or deal with emotions, and you're allowed to emotionally eat. That's right. Some people say we inherently accept emotional eating. Well, that must be bad. No, no, it's okay to eat food to deal with your emotions. There's That's not a misuse of it. Oftentimes, the problem is that we have shame and guilt around the weight gain, and it's okay to gain weight. So the question of the night is, how have you been coping with your stress and emotions since March? First person said, just fine. This is all part of a bigger plan. Ah, there's the positive spin. I'm glad that that worked for you. For some people, that can feel like toxic positivity, right? Like a really minimizing, you know, not not fair spin on some people struggling because not everyone's thriving, but I'm glad you are. Someone else said, as far as question of the night, how they've been coping, I started meditation and I picked up a hobby of longboarding. That's interesting. I haven't ever considered that. And I do live near water, but longboarding, how beautiful. I mean, that itself probably is very meditative, right? Not just the meditation itself, but also longboarding. I mean, remember, meditation is a is a, is a word that we usually associate with sitting still, but there's walking meditation, there's activity-based meditation. So, you know, we can use that word in a very broad sense, but um, I love that longboarding. Someone else said, as far as cope mechanisms that they use for stress and emotion since March, someone said, definitely been exercising more. It's been nice to get out and feel a little sense of normalcy. I'm assuming when you say get out, you're either exercising outdoors or you were someone who was able to get into the gym because some gyms were open for a minute there. You had to wear masks and gloves and whatnot. Um, that's that's how it was in California. I know in other states, God bless, they're just like, it's free for all like Florida. But here we had to do that. They've since closed down the gyms again. So now you can't go at all. But yes, movement and exercise is so important for mood, for physical health. Um, you don't have to you know overstress yourself just have to get out and move, find some form of movement or exercise that feels good to you in your body and uh, do your thing. But I love that. Yeah. Exercise is definitely something that helps me. I always have a lot of uh, excess energy. And so that's been helpful. Someone else said here in Alberta, you can sign up for daily emotional and self-care texts. And honestly, that's been helping. I've not heard of that. I like that though. 
daily emotional self-care text. And why I do like that is it reminds you. It's really easy to get caught up in our day or in whatever emotions we're going through. And we forget that we can have a little more input or control over the way certain things impact us. We have we forget to kind of create benchmarks. And so I love people the night before or the day they wake up to maybe build in self-care, to choose how they're gonna cope that day, set up a structure. But I love that, getting little text to remind you. What a powerful tool. I like that. Question of the night was, how have you been coping with your stress and emotions since March? Someone said, trying to be in more contact with my family has been helping. Since we can't see each other, it's been nice to talk a little more than normal. I love that. And that's sometimes people be available. People might be reaching out that you haven't heard from in a while or more so than you're used to. Be open to that if they're healthy. You know, be people are lonely and they're looking just to connect, to be seen. And thank God for technology. But uh, I told everyone, connect with at least three people a day if you can. Find three people. And there's so many different ways we can do that, right? It can be FaceTiming. It can be texting. It can be picture video sharing. It can even be over social media. That's why I'm glad we have it. For a lot of people, social media is a really good way to make new friends and to build community. A lot of community has been built. Shared uh, identity, shared activity, shared interests. So don't, you know, don't negate the possibility of that. Just need to connect. Somebody else said, I've definitely felt more like, excuse me, I've definitely felt like a loneliness since the pandemic started does feel like a broken heart that's right you know we connect individuals we thrive when we're in different forms of relationships doesn't have to be sexual or romantic social ones familial ones and a lot of us are feeling disconnected we're not able to get out connect with people uh sometimes just being out in the world seeing others moving around can feel like a level of part of something community or socialization so i appreciate that now that we're not able to really get out and see anyone and if you're self-isolating alone we forget that some people are all on their own others are with family members or someone they're dating or roommates but there are some people that are all on their own so just make sure you're connecting to people people maybe that you haven't kept up with or people you've wanted to get closer to try that i'm also an advocate of the dating apps people are building and finding love and romance through this time, non-traditional forms of dating. So don't rule out the possibility of using dating apps and really getting some social intimacy needs met that way. It's a really powerful thing. Finally, we'll stop on this one. Someone said, trying to look forward to things, planning trips for early next year, even though they might be canceled. It's helping. I bet. I appreciate that. It helps you hold a little hope, adds a little excitement, plan some trips. And if it gets canceled, you'll push it back. But I like the idea of you kind of have that in front of you, something to think about, something to work towards. I don't think that's a bad idea. You might even be able to get some really good um, rates by booking it now. You know, and a lot of places are being really flexible, hotels and um, airlines and things like that. But uh, that's actually a really good idea. Have something kind of ahead of you. All right, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore it with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I've been listening to your show for about seven months and it's really helped me find my own voice with family. I stood up to them about two weeks ago because they were saying some really racist stuff. But now... I'm feeling a sense of loneliness I've never really felt before because the conversation basically ended with them not understanding me and my walking out, realizing that I just don't want to be a part of them. Is that normal? I feel like I'm going through a breakup. Oh man, so many of these kinds of questions. It's wild. It comes in, ah, you know, again, it's a difficult time, right? And you know, it's not, it's not about being polite, right? 
a, pl a polite is a t uh, politeness is a tool of oppression. Politeness allows the status quo to exist. Politeness is to let people off the hook, and you know we don't we don't allow bigotry to exist. That's how we are allies, right? Sorry, I dropped my thumb. That's how we are part of the social justice movement. That's part of the Black Lives Matters movement. Is it's time to call things out, and we have to do that with every. Micro, meso, macro level with every relationship we're part of is we have to say, listen, what you're saying is not okay around me. It's not okay in general. Here's why. I mean, we have to be willing to do that. Otherwise, we are um, allowing things to exist. Otherwise, we're a co-conspirator. We're complicit, right? And it is part of mental health. Deciding, it's called boundaries. It's a boundary issue. Boundaries are about deciding what you're around. Boundaries are about deciding what you let come in. We have two boundaries. One that protects others from us and one that protects us from others. And good boundaries is letting people in your life know how they can talk with you, how they can talk about you, what can be said around you. Boundaries are what behaviors you'll allow. Boundaries are, allow how, are about how you let people impact you. And all of these things, our mental health is about the people we're around. We are an open system. Our psyche's always taking in what's around us. Our self-esteem, relational, it's reflected back to us. And we're talking about people we care about. I can't listen to someone say something transphobic, homophobic, or racist because they're talking about myself and people I love and it's hard and it's again reminding us what people's ethics are it's reminding us of the mental health of those around us people are talking in ways that are about discrimination and violence and so it's really hard to still feel good about someone when they're perpetrating and participating in violence discrimination and prejudice I get that and you know people are losing individuals in their lives John Cusack the actor he was huge in the 80s he just came out saying he has no interest and will not have anyone in his life, including family and friends, that are part of racism. And we're at a time where that's important. We're trying to create a shift. Social justice movement, Black Lives Matters, it's one of the most important civil rights moments that some of us will have in our lives and we need to be a part of that. And it's difficult. Uh, but here's the one thing I'll say, hold space for change, meaning they might learn and grow and circle back. You know, you might have woke them up in that conversation, so I'm glad you did that. But relationships, when they end, it's not always forever. People down the road circle back and reconnect as friends. They get remarried. Um, all sorts of different things happen. So hold space for that possibility, you know. Um, maybe stay connected in some ways and start educating them. But we have to decide what we want to allow and what we don't want to allow. It's a very difficult time, so I empathize with that. This question comes into my office at least five, six, or seven times every single week in some form, and we keep getting lots of DMs about it. I get it, it's really hard, but you have to say, what are my priorities rooted in? What are my ethics? And you stand by that, you know? So anyway, you got my support, but I know it's not easy. God, you guys, we gotta be better with each other. Slime the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world, and we want you to explore it with confidence. All right, y'all, that's our show. Old episodes of Loveline are podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. Hope you're all enjoying some of those new horror movies that are dropping. I know I am. All the different networks and stations and streaming services are dropping them. So excited. We are moving into my birthday season. Scorpio season's coming soon, so uh, that's right. I love this time of year. The weather's getting cooler, so I hope you're getting out there and enjoy it. Move your body. Get some fresh freaking air. Open the windows. Let some light in. Try to eat some fruits and veggies and uh, love each other, y'all. All right, we'll be back tomorrow, um, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern for I'm Listening Live. And that's on all the radio.com handles. And then Love Line at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for hanging out with me, you guys. Take care of each other. More importantly, be good to yourselves. Focus self-care, joy, pleasure, and rest. And enjoy the rest of your night.